Well, good morning. Welcome to H2O. It's really good to have you guys here with us this morning. My name is Brian Wiles. I'm one of the pastors uh, here at H2O. If I haven't got a chance to meet you, and we are continuing on with our series that we're calling Miraculous today. If you're with us, if you've been with us, we've been in this series for a couple weeks, and what we've been doing is we've been looking at the Bible, we've been looking at the pages of the Bible, and we've been asking the question, do you believe in miracles? And have you seen God do miraculous things in your life? And does God still do miracles to this day? And as we've been asking that question, we've been walking through uh, the words of the Bible, and we've been seeing how God actually instructs us to live in a way that's expectant of him to do things that are beyond what we could do on our own strength or in our own ability. And that's what we've been discovering in this miraculous series. It will actually take us up to Easter, where we're going to look at the, the greatest miracle ever performed, where Jesus actually raises from the dead. And that miracle, as we know, literally changed the course of history. And so it's been fun to be in this series together. And and as we're jumping into a a text today, uh, I wanted to start off with asking you a question and sharing an experience I I had myself. And, And the question is this, have you ever been caught out in the middle of a storm with no protection at all from it. Have you ever been like outside in the elements and a storm rolls in and you are stuck in the middle of a storm? Well, I I ask you that question because I've been in that situation myself. It it happened a number of years ago. uh, Myself and a few other pastors, we were going to go on this this wilderness retreat. It's actually this really cool concept. We we flew out to Colorado and uh, we're going to get away and just be with God by ourselves for five straight days. So we, we flew from here out to Colorado, myself and Matt Pardee, he's one of the other pastors here, and uh, we got, you know, landed in Denver, we got into a van, we drove a few hours out into the middle of nowhere, and we met up with uh, seven or eight other pastors, and we hiked into this Gunnison Wilderness area, okay, we get dropped off, and it's a 14-mile hike up and down mountains into the middle of nowhere, because we're going to go meet with God for five straight days, and, uh, and so we, we take this hike, and, and we start going up there. And, and we get dropped off by the guide, and it's like, okay, guys, well, um, just so you know, um, there's mountain lions out here. Um, storms can roll in. We're about 11,000 feet up in the air. And uh, just, you know, good luck. Go spend time with God. It's like, all right, I guess that's how we're going to do this thing. And so uh, the first day comes, and, you know, it's kind of like, it's a really cool experience, actually, because you kind of are just detoxing from the world, and you're out in the middle of nowhere. And, uh, and, and the first day comes, I make it through the day. Uh, have some good times with God, and then the nighttime comes, and so I go get in my tent, and in the middle of the night, this massive storm rolls in. And, and if you've ever been like up in the mountains when a storm rolls in, it's a scary place. I mean, people literally do die, you know, in those situations. Like lightning, it strikes, you're closer to the lightning, you know. And uh, and so, man, I was like just petrified that whole night because the wind is blowing. I'm like, is a tree gonna fall on my tent? Am I gonna get hit with lightning? You know. You don't sleep hardly at all. I make it through the night. And, and, and that happened a couple different times throughout uh, our time there. And, and by the end of those five days, like, if you've ever been alone for that long, it's really cool spending time with God. But your mind starts playing tricks on you as well. And so I was convinced that I was going to die. I was just convinced that, like, I was not only going to go there to spend time with God. I was actually going to literally meet God, you know, during, <laughs> during this, this wilderness ex- 
you know, this trip. And so we get to the end, and I, I'm like, I'm going to get eaten by a mountain lion. I'm gonna, the last day finally comes, and we make it through it. We wake up the next morning, and all of us were like grown men, but we were just like little schoolgirls. You know, we couldn't wait to like get back around other people and actually talk to each other. And, uh, and so it's, it's now it's time for us to hike out. It's time for us to leave this, this mountainside where we went and spent time with God, and uh, we're, we're going to get back home. And I'm like, yes, you know, finally. I get to go home. I get to sleep in my nice warm bed. I get to be next to my wife. This is going to be great. So we start hiking out. We have to hike up a mountain to get out of this place that we're in. And as we hike up the mountain, all of a sudden the guide looks up to, to the sky and he says, there's a storm coming in again. So now we're up above the tree line on the top of this mountain with literally nothing between us and the clouds, nothing between us and the lightning. And, and no joke, it was one of the scariest moments of my life. It literally, like you could feel the electricity. There was like lightning. It felt like you were just dodging lightning, you know, as you were hiking down this mountain. And we were all just so petrified. I was like, I made it through this, and now I'm going to die hiking out of this, of this experience. And so we, the, the storm rolls through, and it's like 15, 20 minutes, and then all of a sudden the, the, the sky's completely clear, and we obviously survived. But I have to tell you, that moment I literally remember it like it was yesterday. It was one of the scariest moments in my life. And, and when you get caught in the middle of a storm, it can be an extremely scary experience. It can be an extremely scary moment. And just like I experienced a storm that kind of rolled in out of nowhere in the mountains of Colorado, the, the analogy is pretty clear that, that in life, all of us, we will face storms in life that come into our life. And storms that come into our life, they can come in so many different shapes and so many different sizes. They can come like these massive hurricanes, like these massive thunderstorms that literally scare us to death and that change the landscape of the rest of our life. Or they can come in, in kind of these little rain showers that, that maybe get our attention for a little bit but don't have a lasting impact. They can come out of nowhere. They can totally sneak up on us. Or they can be on the radar and we may see them come. But all of us in life, we will face different storms. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Life is full of these different storms. And today we're going to look at a passage in uh, the book of Matthew where the disciples find themselves caught in the middle of a storm. And they're out in the ocean, they're out in the middle of, of a place where there is no protection from the storm. And we're going to see Jesus walk on water, one of his most famous miracles, out to the disciples. And as we look at this passage, we're going to try to figure out what exactly is God teaching us through this miraculous story in Matthew chapter 14. See, the big idea that, that I want to discover and unpack together today is this. Uh, to face the storms of life, we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Okay, to face the storms of life, which we all will face, we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And so I want to jump into Matthew 14. Before we do that, uh, before we get to this passage, just let me give you a little bit of context as to where we're at. Because anytime you read the Bible, you want to know what's happening around the passage that you're looking at, okay? And so right, right before this passage where Jesus walks on water that we're going to look at, Jesus did another one of his most famous miracles. He actually fed 5,000 people. So, so Jesus was in this situation where he went out to the mountainside, and it actually says he went to this mountainside to try to get alone, to try to be by himself to try to just get time with God, kind of like I was doing out in Colorado. But Jesus was Jesus. His ministry was starting to grow. Jesus goes to this mountainside, and literally 5,000 people just follow him out to this, this mountain. 
And it says that Jesus had compassion on them. And so instead of kind of just turning from them or sending them away, Jesus starts to spend time with them. And there's 5,000 people just sitting at Jesus' feet on this mountainside, and he's teaching them all day long. And they're just hanging on every word that he says. And, and, and as they're sitting there and Jesus is teaching, they didn't bring anything with them. They just followed Jesus, and so they don't have any food. And Jesus sees this boy. He has five loaves, two fishes, and Jesus takes this, this small amount of food, and they start passing it around, and it multiplies, and it multiplies, and Jesus feeds this crowd of 5,000 people, right? You, you might have heard that story of how Jesus did this, this miracle and fed this, this crowd with this small amount of food. Well, this is what happens right before we're about to jump into this passage. Just so we know, Jesus is in this spot where his ministry is taking off. You know, there's a lot of people that are taking notice of what he's doing. And now Jesus is still kind of trying to teach his core group of disciples a key lesson about who he is. So you can open up with me to Matthew chapter 14. We're going to be in verse 22. You can pull out your handouts. You can follow along on our H2O app. And we're going to read through this passage and stop uh, four different times and kind of see what God might be teaching us through it. So Matthew chapter 14, verse 22, says this. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him on the other side. And while he dismissed the crowd, so all these 5,000 people... And after he dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray, which is what he originally came there to do in the first place. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, and it was buffeted by the waves and the wind against it. And we're going to stop right there in verse 24. The boat was in the middle of the lake, and it was buffeted by the waves and the winds against it. And the first thing that that I think we can learn from this passage is simply this, that storms are inevitable. As we already talked about, storms in our life are inevitable. And there's so many parallels as we discover this story together today between what's happening with nature and what is going on in our hearts and in our minds and, and in our spiritual lives. See, these disciples, they were caught in the middle of the sea, and they were caught in a storm. Now, what's really interesting about this particular storm that the disciples are caught in is that Jesus actually sent them into the storm, right? It says that Jesus made the disciples go get into the boat and go ahead of him. Jesus is God. He knows that this storm's coming, and so Jesus actually literally intentionally sends these disciples into a storm, And I think that's interesting because many times for us, when we face storms in our life, you know, many of us, we say, oh, maybe God's like sending me this trial, sending me this storm in my life to punish me, or maybe God's mad at me, or maybe I did something wrong, or maybe God isn't even present at all. You know, if something's gone wrong in my life, if I'm facing a trial, if something's not going the way that I think that it should, maybe God isn't even real at all. But here we see the the reality that Jesus actually sent these men who he deeply loves into that storm. See, many times, Christians especially, we have this mistaken belief that that if I just follow God, everything will work out perfectly in my life. You know, if I just, like, follow Jesus, then everything will be perfect, everything will be smooth sailing, so to speak, Uh, you know, and and, and there's not going to be any problems, but Jesus actually says the opposite is true. Storms are inevitable. And John 16, says, in this world you will have trouble. And so it shouldn't surprise us as we're going about life that storms will 
come in and out of our lives. I know for me, this has happened, you know? I know for all of us, this has happened. And like I said, as I think about my life, I think some storms that have been just small storms, you know, little, little rain showers and other ones that were maybe a lot bigger. I've shared before about just experiences that, that Sarah and I have had with, with having trouble um, having kids. We, we, we started, we got married in 2003, and we were married for a few years, and then we uh, started wanting to try to have children, and in our first attempt at having a child, we had Allison, and everything went great, and everything went smooth, and, and it was awesome, and then a few years later, we had Sam, our, our second child, and, and everything was going great, and we wanted to have three kids, so we started trying to have a, a kid a third time. I always make the joke, how, trying to have kids is always the fun part, you know, of having kids. All right, just, okay, so you guys get where I'm going with that, okay, so we, we start trying to have our, our third child, and, and, and Sarah got pregnant, and just a few weeks later, we found out that, that she had a miscarriage, and, and some of us have been through that experience before, some of us have had that happen within our family, and, and if you've had it, if you haven't had it happen, you know, it's hard to explain because there's just so many different emotions to try to figure out and to try to wrestle through uh, as you're going through that, that situation. And so uh, after that, we, you know, we prayed, we sought God together, and, and we said, okay, you know, we don't know why this happened or, or what's going on, but, but we believe that, that God still wants us to have another kid, so we started trying to have uh, a child again for a fourth time. And Sarah got pregnant a fourth time. And this time we were like way more, you know, cautious because the reality is like once you have a miscarriage, it's, it's, it's you know, way more possible that you could have a second one. So we, we were, you know, waiting a little while to tell people and, and being kind of cautious about it. Well, um, we, we got past the 12-week mark. And the 12-week mark is kind of means you're out of the danger zone for the most part uh, of having a miscarriage. And so um, we, we started to kind of let our guard down. We started to celebrate. We ordered a cake and we were going to have a big gender reveal party, you know, as people do. And... Um, and, and so she was about 14 or 15 weeks along. I was just sitting in a meeting one day. She had a, a regular checkup, and, uh, and, and she called me, and I knew she should have been at the doctor, and I could tell by her voice that something was wrong, you know, and, and, uh, and so she said, they can't find a heartbeat, you know, and so I left the meeting, and I rushed over to the, to the, to the doctor's office, and right as I was, you know, walking into the room, she was, you know, had the, the thing attached to her, and the doctor said, I'm sorry, you know, there's, there's nothing we can do. We don't know why. We don't have any clue. There's, there's such a small chance during this phase of the pregnancy of this even happening, but, but I'm sorry. The, the baby's not alive anymore. And, you know, in, in that moment uh, of just heartbreak, you know, of course you cry, and uh, of course you just don't even really know how to process it and know how to handle it. Um, but I just remember, you know, having this thought of like, God, what's going on? You know, why, why would this happen? I, I just can't understand this. This is a, a storm. This is a moment that I did not expect to face. And so we had to, to go in and get a procedure. We actually had friends um, who, who had the same thing happen. And they went in and they were about ready to, to have the procedure, to have what was left of the, the baby removed. And they, they hooked the, the mom up to the, 
the machine and the baby was actually alive. And so we went in to, to do this, this procedure and we were like, you know, hey, we'd just like to check one more time to see if the, the baby is alive. And, and the, the nurse was almost like annoyed with us, you know, because I think she thought we had this false hope. And, uh, and, and we're like, no, you know, we don't have false hope. We just, we just want to check. You know, we believe God can do miracles. And so they checked and, and the baby wasn't alive, you know. And that's what we thought, you know, you never know. And, and, and in this moment, it's like, God, we serve a God that, that we believe with all of our heart that you love us. We believe with all of our heart that you care for us deeply. We believe that you're personal. And yet we're going through this trial, this storm. And that may not be your story, but I know that all of us have been through something. Something that hits home. Something that's real. Something that's not like a little, little rain shower. Something that is like a storm that rocks your world and rocks your faith a little bit. I have to be honest enough to stand here and tell you, I don't know why those things happen. It's not like I can look back on that and say, oh, I know exactly why that happened. I don't know exactly why that happened. I don't know what God's plan ultimately is in each and every situation, but I can tell you from experience that God is present in those moments. I can tell you from experience that as we sought God and drew closer and closer to him and didn't push him away but said, God, I want to invite you into this storm. I want to invite you into this pain. I want to invite you into this season that I'm struggling in. God shows up. God shows up. And so even in our situation where it seems so out of control, God cared for us. And I know he used it to grow us and to mature us and to bring us closer to him. The question isn't, will we face storms? The question is, what will we do in our walks with God when those storms come into our life? So let's get back to the text and see how the disciples responded. Verse 25 says this. It says, Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It's I. Don't be afraid. See, the second thing we can learn from this story is that Jesus helps us to put fear in its place. Jesus helps us to put fear in its place. So in this storm, you know, there, there's this wind blowing. There's this, this crazy waves that are coming up over the, the boat, as we can imagine. And, and, and you have to picture the scene, right? I mean, can you imagine being the disciples, being in the middle of the sea, and, and you're just totally freaked out because you have nothing to protect you from the storm. And all of a sudden, you see, like, this man walking towards you on the water, you know, and, and, and it says that they were scared, right? And, and, and oftentimes as we read the, the stories of the Bible, you know, the disciples get kind of a bad rap, right? Because we look at them and go, come on, guys, you should have known it's Jesus. I mean, of course, you know, don't you know how the story ends? We have, the, we have hindsight, right? We can look back on it and we can say, you guys, you're just such cowards, you know? But put yourself in that situation. Imagine how scary it would have been. I mean, it, it, I think that it makes sense that they were pretty fearful as they're in the middle of the sea, as the, the waves are going crazy, and they see this figure walking towards them. 
And I think that we could probably, as we put the, the parallel of, of the storms that come into our life into this text, I think that many of us, we could relate with the idea of being fearful when storms come into our life. You know, fear is just kind of an immediate reaction that comes into many of us when things don't go the way that we expect them to go. So many of us, we deal with fear. What are you afraid of? What, what is, is God doing in your life? What type of fear is coming into your heart as you may be going through storms in your life? Maybe the storm in your life that you're struggling with is work. Somebody's got a phone call. There you go. <laughs> Maybe the storm that you're struggling with is, is a work situation. And, and that, 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 that work situation that you're struggling with is leading you to fear of not being able to provide financially. Fear of not being able to, to have a place to live. Fear of not being able to feed yourself or your family. Maybe the storm that you're going through is you're single. And you really want to be in a relationship with somebody. And you really want God to be able to provide that for you. But you can't find that perfect person. And so the fear that you have is that you're going to be alone. Maybe the storm in your life is a relationship that seems broken and there's conflict and the fear that you have is of being hurt. As we look at this text, Jesus helps us to put fear in its place because fear is a terrible motivator. Do you realize that? Fear can be such a terrible motivator. Fear can cause us to become people we don't want to be. Fear can cause us to make decisions that we don't want to make. Fear can make us guarded. Fear can make us selfish. Fear and love do not go together. And the Bible talks about followers of Christ being people of love, not people of fear. In 1 John 4.18, we're told that there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Perfect love drives out fear. And so Jesus, being an ultimate person of love, helps us to drive out fear in our life. Think about this. Have you ever asked the question, why did Jesus actually walk on water? Maybe you've heard this story before and you said, well, isn't that kind of like a random miracle? You know, it's kind of a strange miracle for Jesus to perform, to just walk out into the middle of the ocean. What's up with that? Why, why would Jesus walk on water? But I think Jesus walked on water to show his disciples the very thing that they feared so much. The sea, the storm, the thing that they feared so much was only a staircase for him to come to them. That's why Jesus walked on water, because the thing that they were so afraid of, Jesus actually uses a tool to draw them closer to him. And so for us, as we're sitting here today and we're thinking about the storms that may be going on in our life, maybe it's a broken relationship, maybe God wants to use that storm, that broken relationship, to draw you closer to him, just like Jesus used the sea to walk on, to move closer to his disciples. Maybe the, the, the singleness, the fact that you aren't in a relationship that you want to be in right now, maybe Jesus actually wants to use that storm to draw you closer to him. Maybe it's a financial struggle that you're having, and Jesus actually wants to use that as a staircase to move closer and closer to you. See, through reading this story, we can look at the storms in our life and say, I'm not so afraid of you anymore because I know that God can actually use that storm to draw me closer to him. See, we serve a God that, that isn't surprised by the storms but uses them to redeem our lives and our situations. Let's jump back in, verse 28. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Verse 29, come, he said. 
Then Peter got down out of the boat. He walked on water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand, and he caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why do you doubt? Peter is awesome. If you read, the, if you read any of the Gospels, I mean, picture it again. Jesus walking out into the middle of the storm. They're all freaking out, and Peter recognizes, hey, it's Jesus. Oh, man, that's a really cool trick. And instead of just watching him and being like, wow, that's really cool, Peter actually says, no, hey, Jesus, I want to be part of that. You know, hey, if it's really you, can I come out there with you too? That looks fun. I want to walk on water with you as well. You know, imagine having that type of guts to, to be that close with Jesus and say, I'm not just going to watch you do this miracle. I want to actually experience it myself. And the third thing we can learn from this is that courage and obedience lead us to experience God's miracles. Courage and obedience lead us to experience God's miracles. See, we know how Jesus walked on water. He's God, right? We know how he was able to walk on water because he controls all those elements. But how did Peter walk on water? Because we're just like Peter. We're not like Jesus, but we're like Peter. How was he able to walk on water? Well, those two words. Courage and obedience. Courage. Peter had to get out of the boat, you know? He had to take a risk for God. I mean, can you imagine being in the storm and literally saying, Okay, um, Jesus, I want to get out. And then that first step onto water. That took some guts and obedience. Jesus said, come. And Peter said, okay. He obeyed. He listened. He followed. And and I know it's it's many of us, we say things like, I want to do big things for God. Or we say things like, I want to experience God. Or I want to see the miracles of God in my life. But oftentimes we lack one of those two attributes, don't we? Oftentimes we're afraid. Many times we're so afraid to take a risk for God that we just stay in the boat. We, we play it safe. We say, oh, that's for somebody more spiritual than me. That's for, for somebody that, that has way more faith than me. I could never take a risk for God. I could never have that type of courage that this other person had. Maybe God's prompting you to just do something simple like invite somebody to church. But we're so afraid to take a risk for God. Because maybe we'll get rejected. Maybe God's calling you to actually share your faith, to tell your story about how God's changed and transformed your life. But we're so afraid. Maybe we're afraid of offending somebody. Maybe we're afraid of looking stupid. Whatever the case may be. And we don't do it. And we miss out on the miracles, on the experiences that God has for us. Maybe God's calling us to do some type of ministry, to serve, to make an impact. But we don't do it. Because we think, I'm not good enough. I'm not talented enough. I could never do that. If I can give you any encouragement here today, any encouragement from this story, I'd encourage you to develop a mentality of taking risk for God. Develop a mentality of taking risk for God. Because if you want to actually experience him, if you want to see him do miraculous things, if you want to be part of his work, you have to take risks for God. 
God works when we take risks for him. I've seen it over and over again in my life. I've seen it over and over again in our church. I, I, think, about, I think about my life. I think about our church staff. You know, we, we talk about this before, but, but to even go on staff with our ministry, it is a huge risk. Because every single one of our staff, we raise support in order to do what we do. And so I remember graduating from college and thinking, I could go get a job or I could go into ministry and go raise support. Uh, what should I do, you know? And, and, and that was a massive risk to realize that I'm going to have to go out and see God provide over and over again. And 15 years later, I'm still doing that. And every step of the way, God has provided. And it's taken courage and it's taken steps of faith, but it's been an amazing journey. And we've seen miraculous things happen as a result of that courage. You think about our church. I think about planting churches. You know, we talk about this a lot at H2O, that, that we plant churches, that we start new works. That is a risk for God, to send out your best people, to send out your most talented people and say, hey, don't stay here because here's great. And if God calls you to stay here, then that is awesome. We need people to stay, but we need people to go as well. And so to be part of a, a church planning movement, it takes courage and it takes obedience. But as we have done that, it's been amazing to watch God provide and to show up. It's been amazing to watch the miracles that happen. I even think about like this, this service, this downtown venue. You know, six or seven months ago, we're sitting in our staff meeting saying, is this even possible or not? You know, is there a need for something like this to actually happen in downtown Bowling Green? And, and will anybody even show up? But we took a risk for God. And God's been doing awesome things over and over again. And it's been so exciting to be a part of. But it takes taking a risk. Think about the text. Peter had this, this mixture of faith and fear, didn't he? He had this mixture of faith and fear. And sometimes we feel like in order to do anything from God, we can't ever have any type of fear in our life. We have to feel perfect peace about it. And the moment we feel perfect peace about it, well, then we can go for it. But if we have any small amount of fear or doubt, then we probably shouldn't do it. That's not what Peter did. Peter had this mix of faith and fear. And I think that that's actually way more accurate to what it means to take a risk for God. I think it describes us oftentimes. And we may start off in faith saying, yes, this is what I want to do, and, and I know that God wants me to do this, but at some point, it will get scary. At some point, when you're actually taking a bold step of faith for God, there will come a moment where you question it, where you say, is this really what God wants me to do? Am I really able to, to do this? But listen, that faith drives us closer and closer and closer to Jesus. Think about the, the moment in the boat. Or on the sea, when Peter started to, to sink. He started to sink when? When he took his eyes off of Jesus, right? When his focus turned to the, to the wind and to the waves and to everything that was going on all around him, he started to sink. He had great faith as he stepped out of the boat, and he was doing great as long as he was focused on Jesus. And as soon as he took his focus off of Jesus onto the storm, he started to sink. But what did Jesus do? He reached out his hand and he caught him. See, Peter's faith put him in a position to rely on Jesus. He was doing something he could not do on his own strength. He was walking on water. It's only two people that I know that have ever even claimed to do this. It's these two guys. 
He was walking on water, something he could not do, and it forced him to be reliant on Jesus. When we take risk for God, it drives us to, to Jesus. When we do things that we can't do on our own strength, it drives us to him, it drives us to dependence on him, and it draws us closer to him. So courage and obedience, that's what leads us to experience God's miracles. Then let's look at this, this last two verses. Verse 32 says this. It says, and when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down, and then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Truly, you are the Son of God. See, fourth and finally, miracles should drive us to worship Jesus. Miracles should drive us to worship Jesus. We've talked about that throughout this series. The point of this story isn't how cool Peter was or how brave Peter was or how amazing it is to walk on water. The point of this story is that Jesus is king. The point of this story is that Jesus is worth our worship. The miracle proves and solidifies what we already know in our hearts to be true, that Jesus is the only one worthy of our worship, that all of nature, including the wind and the waves, they have to bow down to him. And so if all nature and all of this world should bow down to him, then we ourselves should bow down to Jesus as well. See, Jesus is the only one worth worshiping. And and I think as we close up together today, it's so important to remember what Jesus has actually done for us. You see, Jesus actually put us in a place where we were separated from God in our sin and in our brokenness and in our pain. But he came to this earth and walked on water. He lived a perfect life so that we could be drawn to him. That's what the gospel is. And now our our response is to fall down and worship him and say, God, you are the only one worthy of my worship. So let's pray and let's spend some time worshiping God together.